0: Welcome to The Wow, the podcast that will provide you with the tools you need to thrive in today's society. If you're new here, then hello, I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and if you've listened before, then welcome back. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work in the suicide prevention space in a marketing and communications role in Canberra. I spend too much time socializing at the dog park with my lovely Border Collie Murphy and enjoy pizza on the couch with a glass of wine most Friday nights. But today, we are talking about cervical screening tests. Over the past five years, the cervical screening test has seen some changes. What used to be known as the common pap smear now has a fancy new name and some new criteria. If you're anything like me, the word pap smear or cervical screening test sends a shudder down my spine. But that's mainly due to my lack of knowledge about what it entails and what it tells us. Thankfully, the wonderful Dr. Maria Lee is here to give us the full rundown. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, then please remember to subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends. And if you haven't already, you better come join us on Instagram at the wow podcast underscore. Hello, Maria, and welcome to the WOW Podcast. Hi, Georgina, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Look, I just cannot wait to delve into today's conversation with you regarding pap smears. But before we get into it, I would like to start with an acknowledgement of country. So I would like to begin by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land I reside on here in Canberra, and the Gwia. People of the land that Maria resides on up in Sydney. So, I pay my respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners here today. So, I should probably call you Dr. Maria. That's obviously your formal title. Maria's fine, it's all good. <laughs> uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with our listeners today?
1: Yeah, so I'm Maria Lee. I'm a GP by training, and uh, I've worked previously in both rural New South Wales and various parts of Sydney, uh, including the Sutherland Shire, the East and the Inner South of Sydney. And along the way, I've undertaken some additional training in paediatrics, women's health and also antenatal shift care.
0: That's so fantastic. I mean, and great that you've done rural work. Where, Where is there, do you have a particular favourite rural destination in New South Wales that you've done some time at? Yes. Yeah, so I think Albury,
1: where I did a paediatrics term when I was uh, doing my hospital training was just lovely. I felt like the tempo of that town was so beautiful. Everyone was really friendly. And I love the fact that you could just drive wherever you wanted to go and park right out the front of the door
0: oh I can completely agree with you there and I think um you know our podcast editor um Maddie who's listening in today she can also agree there because we're both actually very familiar with Aubrey yeah um, Maddie spent some time living in Wodonga and um I myself have a partner who grew up in Yakundanda which is just outside Aubrey and he obviously um went to school around there so it's just such a beautiful part of the world so I can I totally understand why you've fallen in love with it oh wow yeah small world yeah um look pap smears is the conversational topic for today probably something that most women uh hate the word of it or not hate (laughs) hates probably a strong word but more so ignore um pap smears i think it's just something that people like to put off or forget about or like not really think about because I guess it's something that we all go, do we really have to go get one? When do we have to go get one? Why do we have to go get one? Um, Everyone's afraid of the pain and all the little bits and bobs in between. So Mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to getting into this conversation with you and finding out a little bit more because obviously it's a really important part of um, womanhood in terms of making sure that we are getting regular pap smears um, and for reasons that you will discuss. So yeah, I think this is a really important topic to broach. Yes, I totally agree. No one's favorite
1: topic, but very important nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I know I had um, a, there's always this women's health uh, GP at the university I attended back in the day. And, you know, being a university student, you would always uh, definitely utilize the bulk bill doctors there. And she was the first doctor you'd walk in and say, you know, I need some antibiotics. I've got this or I've got this going on or that. And she'd be the first one to say, okay, I don't really mind about the problem you've come in for, but have you had your paps smear? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, I feel like this conversation is definitely bringing up all those memories of her being so good and encouraging all of us young uni students to make sure we're on top of our pap smears. But let's start off with the most simple of questions. What is a pap smear? Okay. So, a bit of terminology. What we used
1: to call a pap smear has now actually got a new name and that's cervical screening test or CST mm-hmm. for short. However, plenty of people, including myself, still call it a pap smear. So I'll use those two terms completely interchangeably because even I, mm-hmm. my brain hasn't adjusted to the change in uh, terminology yet. So uh, <laughs> basically a pap smear is a screening test for cervical cancer. And the cervix is one of those rare organs that we can actually directly get a look at and take a sample from without having to put a woman under a general anesthetic or going through surgery. So in terms Mm. of organs prime for screening, it is the perfect organ. And that's why pap smears can be done uh, relatively easily um, uh, with your GP. And that's why we push it so, you know, fervently, because it's something that's Mm. easily done. Mm. Yeah.
0: So how often do we need to get, you know, a pap smear? Does it depend in terms of what age category we're in or, you know, when should we start getting a pap smear? So the correct answer is it depends
1: on the person. So for people Mm -hmm. who have always been on time with their pap smears and have always had normal pap smears in the past, the recommended screening interval is every five years. And that's from the age of 25 onwards. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned that at uni you had a GP who kept pushing you to have a pap smear. And and that doesn't mean that she didn't do the right thing. It's just that the rules changed a few years ago.
0: Yeah, it's been quite recent because it used to be quite a little bit more regularly that we were required to have one, if that's correct.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, a few years ago, the entire uh, cervical screening um, regimen nationally changed. So now the recommendation is start at the age of
0: twenty-five. Gotcha. That's that's a lot later than I. I mean, I think initially I remember um, hearing that as soon as I was sexually active, I was, I was uh, recommended yes. to go get a Pap smear. So obviously, that's that's changed now, which is. I don't know if that's good or bad for those young women. They don't have they can delay it a little bit longer and not have to worry about it as much.
1: (laughs) Yes. Having said that though, I mean, previously the rules used to be two years after the onset of sexual activity or, Mm -hmm. or within those two years. Having said that though, it doesn't, and I'll go into this a bit later as well, but it doesn't mean that if you're having odd symptoms down there, like funny bleeding, bleeding after sex, funny discharge, that you just go, now. Nah, don't worry about it, I'm not 25 yet. Okay. Obviously, the presence of symptoms means you should go to your doctor sooner and there's every possibility they may do one, even though you don't meet the age criteria yet. Mm. Uh, so don't ever feel like 25 is the be-all and end-all. And to continue what I was uh, saying when I started, it, when I said it depended on the person, it also means that it's not five years for everyone.
0: Mm. There
1: are a few exceptions. So for example, people who have had abnormal pap smears um, in the past will need to have them more frequently, or Mm. the people who have had them abnormal recently in the past Mm. will have to have them more frequently. And also people who are immunosuppressed also need to have them more frequently. Uh, so, there's no one size fits all screening interval, and the correct inter- interval should be individualized to you and your risk profile. Mm-hmm. The only real way to determine that is to go and have a chat with your doctor. Mm. Uh, and as I said before, very important if you have symptoms, go at any age, any time, even if you've quite recently had one, because the presence of symptoms means we do need to check it out regardless.
0: Mm, Okay, so I know we've kind of... I mean, we're going to delve into it a little bit more um, in the second part of the episode, but I'm curious to ask just right now while you're talking about symptoms, what are some of the key symptoms that women should be looking out for? Like if you're in your 20s mm-hmm. and you're maybe a little bit concerned, what what are some of the things that we should be looking out for that might indicate that it's probably a good idea to have a conversation with our GP and get get a pap smear or cervical screening test?
1: Yeah, so the symptoms I'm talking about are things like bleeding after so- sex uh, unusual bleeding that's not your normal period so spotting in between uh, suddenly periods becoming a lot uh, a lot more different in terms of quantity or pain pain with sex is a, is an interesting one and also funny vaginal discharge that that isn't your normal monthly discharge and When you go to your GP, I'm not trying to say that the only thing they'll do is potentially a pap smear. They probably will want to do other things if you have those symptoms, for example, swabs, ultrasounds. Mm. Uh, But a pap smear might be one of
0: them. Mm. Good to know. I mean, you've kind of touched on there seeing a GP for this, but I think, you know, many of us are a bit unsure. Do we need to see uh, a female women's health gp um can male gps perform Pap smears on on women and do we need to see a gynecologist for this like who is mm-hmm. the preferred person to see for this um and does it does it change so
1: the correct
0: answer is that you have
1: multiple options uh, The reason why I say GP is, eight because I am one, I do heaps of them, and also GPs tend to be the one that most women go to uh, Mm -hmm. because, like I said, we do lots of pap smears, we're quite easy to get into compared to a specialist, also more cost-effective than seeing a specialist, and also the GP tends to be the person who knows the most about your general health. So Mm -hmm. they're more likely to know your history. However, that's not to say that a GP is the only person that can perform a pap smear. So there are, um, I don't know about your state, but in Sydney, there are family planning clinics um, where clinics that focus purely on women's health, contraception, pap smears, things like that. So they will do pap smears. Obviously gynecologists will do a pap smear if you see them and, and ask for one. And also some public hospital clinics do do pap smears, but this isn't universal. So you would have to check with your local hospital about that service and whether they offer it. Uh, to your question about whether we, you need to see a female GP, uh, no, not necessarily. I think, so male GPs certainly can and do do pap smears, but by the nature of the test, most women feel mo- more comfortable seeing a female GP for it and as a result the girls well the girls by which I mean the female GPs tend to get a lot more volume of pap smear requests than <laughs> the guys and not not to say anything against guys but when you do a lot of them it it, it kind of becomes second nature so yeah yes you definitely can see a male GP and I think the key is to ask when you book your appointment, um, the key is not to be too shy with why you're booking. If you're explicit with the receptionist and say, look, I'm booking in for this reason, uh, can you let me know if Dr X is comfortable doing this for me? And if Dr X isn't, he or she will be quite explicit about it and say, no, but I would recommend this other person who's very, you know, who does them a lot and is very comfortable.
0: That's a really, I mean, good thing to know, especially that, um, you know, you have the choice to choose who you feel comfortable with going um, to do the pap smear. I think, I mean, for many of us, the word pap smear, I think you just think, oh, God, it's going to be painful of some sort or uncomfortable of some sort. (laughs) Could you explain the process? Because I think you automatically feel a bit like, oh, about it um yeah what can we yeah. expect the legs come together
1: as soon as the word is said <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> exactly could you explain the process of what's involved in receiving a pap smear yes absolutely so from the point of view of the person
1: receiving it so obviously you'll see a doctor you'll be led into a private room uh and the door will be shut if Uh, you are seeing a male GP and you don't feel comfortable or in fact even if you're seeing a female GP and you don't feel entirely comfortable being alone in that room you're allowed to bring in a support person uh, or alternatively you're allowed to ask for a support person for example if there's a nurse in there that would you know that could be with you uh, to make you feel more comfortable so that's the first thing you don't have to be alone Uh, most women don't prefer to have someone else there but I've certainly done my fair share of pap smears with the husband or, the, you know, the boyfriend or, or the friend or the sister or someone else in the room, which uh, makes the, uh, the patient more comfortable. And that's fine. Uh, so the doctor will have a chat with you, tell you what they're about to do. And then one, once you're ready, they'll ask you to remove your pants and your undies and get onto the examination table. Once you've signaled that you're ready, what we'll do is we'll take a lubricated speculum and a speculum is basically a small metal or plastic tube. And we will insert this into the vagina very gently, completely with your consent and permission. Uh, And that speculum will be held there for a short time while we find the cervix. And then we take a small sample from the surface of the cervix. Once that's done, we remove the speculum and you're just free to get dressed and, and you know the, the pap smear is finished. So the time that the speculum is inside you is actually a very short period of time. If the cervix is easy to find, for my pap is usually a minute or less, it's inside you and then it's out. If your cervix is tricky mm. to find, it could be a couple of minutes. But the important thing to know is that if you are uncomfortable at any stage, you can say stop, and we will stop, and we'll take we'll, the, the procedure is done. You know, you don't have to feel like it needs to continue just because it started. I find often that telling patients that at the very beginning makes them a lot more comfortable. And to your question about excruciating pain, uh, look having done them for many years and also received them for many years, I can say that in the right hands, uh, a pap smear is, well, it's never comfortable, but it shouldn't be extremely painful. Mm. Uh, And if it's done by someone who does them all the time, is very familiar and um, your cervix cooperates and we can find it, <laughs> which is most of the time we can find it. Uh, <laughs> most of the time the women, uh, we finish and the women will go, oh, is that, is that done? Gosh, that was a, uh, the anticipation was much worse than the actual event. Uh, if for whatever reason you have had a, um, a poor or a very uncomfortable pap smear experience, Uh, My advice would be not to let that deter you and not to assume that that is a universal experience because it definitely isn't. Uh, In that situation, I would suggest that you have a chat with your family and friends Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: ask for a word of mouth recommendation for someone that they have used and that they're comfortable with
0: Uh, and then when your next pap smear is due, to to go to that person. I feel like that's such good advice because, I mean... (laughs) Just thinking back to personally the times that I get a pap smear, it's so funny um, because I know my doctor will always say to me, Georgina, just relax. Like this is going to happen so quickly. You're not even going to notice it. And you sit there thinking, how am I <laughs> meant to relax when this is happening? But it's so true. The more you relax, the less you feel. And it's actually a very, like, I mean, it's. For me, when I have gone into it, especially the second time that I've had one, feeling a lot more relaxed and calm about the situation, it has been a lot easier and less painful. And it does happen so quickly, you don't even really notice it.
1: Yeah. So, the phenomenon you're describing is the pelvic floor. So, (laughs) when we're tense, (laughs) when we're tense, we can't help it. Our pelvic floor naturally just squeezes and tenses up. Yeah. uh, And that's a natural. That's a natural reflex. However, uh, the pelvic floor is exactly what we need to relax for us to get that speculum in comfortably. So the paradox is the more anxious you are, the more it's likely to be uncomfortable, and the less anxious you are, the more likely it's going to be a non-event, which is easier said than done, (laughs) I know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things you kind of, you feel like you dread, but then you walk in, you do it and you get it done and you go, oh my God, why did I have so much anxiety about that appointment? It was so easy. So I do feel like hopefully people, now that they are aware of what goes on and what they can expect, they can have that kind of feeling of a little bit more ease walking into that appointment because it it definitely isn't as scary as what it, it feels like mm-hmm. or daunting when you are booking it. Um, yeah, it's something that all women go through and go through quite mm. comfortably. Yes, yes, yes. There, there,
1: is, there is, you're not alone when mm. you feel anxious and embarrassed and like you want to avoid it. I think that's the experience of most women. Mm. I think the key is to know that that is a normal reaction. Uh, everyone else is also feeling that way but knowing that this is something that's important for your health and to kind of do it despite the fear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask about, you know, the results that you get from a pap smear. Is it just um, a a positive for cervical um, cancer or not that you receive back? Or can you tell other things from doing a pap smear? Like what does a pap smear tell us? Okay. Great question. So what we take is a
1: sample of, so we use two small soft brushes and we literally brush the surface of your cervix. Uh, and that takes a sample of the secretions and some of the cells off the surface of the cervix. It's, it's not a traumatic process at all. It's, 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 I think you can liken it to the fact that if you put a cotton tip inside your mouth right now and you swish it around, what you'd extract would be a sample of secretions and cells from the inside of your mouth. So that's the analogy. We then send that sample off to the lab and the lab will spit out one of three categories of results for us, low risk, intermediate risk or high risk. So unfortunately there's no such thing as no risk. Um, So low risk is as good as it gets. And what, Low risk means is that the result was basically normal. And by normal, I mean that um, no human papilloma virus, or HPV for short, was found. So I'll backtrack Mm -hmm. a bit. HPV is the virus that causes the majority of cervical cancer. So cervical cancer is um, triggered by a viral infection of our genital tract. HPV is fairly common. So it's not a virus in the sense of um, like HIV or it's not it's not one of those viruses where if you catch it it's unusual. Uh, most sexually active people will be exposed to HPV at some point because it is so common. What happens with HPV is that in the mm-hmm. majority of people who catch it, um, It will only stay a little while and then the body's immune system will clear it. However, in a minority of people, the HPV will stay in the cervix and start causing uh, changes in the cells of the cervix. And these changes, if they are allowed to persist, in some cases can progress to cervical cancer. So that's the background of HPV. Uh, There are high-risk HPV types, and then there are non-high-risk HPV Mm -hmm. types. So the high-risk ones are more likely to be implicated in causing cervical cancer, and obviously the non-high-risk ones are less likely to be implicated. So back to the pap smear results. So the three categories are low-risk, meaning normal, no HPV was found in your sample. And that means you return to your baseline screening interval. So whatever you've determined that is appropriate with you and your doctor. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's five years. Uh, For some women, like immunosuppressed women, it's shorter. Then there's an intermediate risk category, which means that HPV was found but not a high-risk type, or the cells look either normal or only mildly abnormal. So if any of those two happens, we, you get an intermediate risk result. And we usually deal with that by monitoring you more frequently because there is still a very good chance that your body will naturally clear that HPV by itself and you won't need any specific treatment. So the management is more frequent pap smears. The final category is a high risk category. And that means one of the high-risk types of HPV was found in your cervix or the cells we found look quite abnormal. And if that was the case, even though if left alone, some of those women would still naturally clear the infection, we don't take a risk at that point. We refer you to a gynaecologist for further management and treatment. So those are the three
0: outcomes of a pap smear. I wanted to ask you regarding HPV, Maria, what it sounds like is that if you do receive an abnormal result from your pap smear, that this isn't something to be too concerned about and to, to really have that conversation with your GP to better understand you know, the results. Because from what I understand you're telling me is that obviously this isn't you know um a forever condition for some people it may lead into cervical cancer but for others like you said it might actually disappear yes
1: so if you receive an abnormal pap smear result or cst result i should stop saying pap smear because it's called a cst now uh if you Sorry, <laughs> i should say that too <laughs> doesn't matter it's so ingrained uh, yes if you receive an abnormal cst result definitely do not panic um Because uh, I know I'm not trying to diminish it anyway, because but that is the reason we do the test. Uh, Mm. Of course, in an ideal world, we would all get normal results for every test that we do. But the fact that you've turned up with no symptoms, not thinking that anything was wrong, and we've actually found an abnormality that we can act on means that uh, you're not going to be one of those women who who have this silent condition and not know about it until it turns into something nasty. Uh, So abnormal pap smear results are very common because HPV is very common. And yes, um, I don't have the exact stats, but I do know that if of, of all the women who catch HPV, the majority will clear it by themselves What we're trying to capture with the CST program is the minority of women whose immune systems don't, for whatever reason, clear that virus. And if that virus is allowed to stay um, unchecked on your cervix, sometimes it can trigger cancerous changes. Uh, If we pick it up, uh, not to diminish it in any way, it's not Mm -hmm. ideal, but it's also great that we have picked it up because after that, we put into motion a program of monitoring and treatment, uh, with the aim of preventing you ever getting cancer. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you've spoken about it being a virus. Um, is how how do women pick it up? Like, is there ways that you can, you know, mitigate picking up um, HPV, or is it just something that you know some women are unlucky to catch and others maybe not? Mm,
1: I think the the best analogy is to call it, do you remember that condition? We call it Epstein-Barr virus, but uh, a lot of people call it glandular fever, just colloquially,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and they used to call it the kissing virus. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't, uh, maybe I'm just <laughs> showing my age. No, 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 no. <laughs>
0: um, I think, yeah, no, I remember glandular fever going around. Uh, my version, WA calls it levers, but I know it's schoolies on the east coast. Um, I think that was always the popular virus to catch at schoolies. Yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might change tack and say that HPV
1: is like catching the common cold but down there. It's the only real way to avoid catching it is by never having any form of sexual contact. Um, And I don't just mean penetrative sex. We're talking sex toys, oral sex, all of that. You can be exposed to HPV through that, which is why it's so incredibly common because most people have some sort of sexual contact, you know, Mm. Um, Mm. so. I don't think the focus should be on not catching it although great point I will lead into another segue in a minute the focus however should not be on never having sex and not catching HPV and therefore never getting cervical cancer Uh, the focus really should be on making sure you get your pap smears regularly so we can see if you have the virus and then if you do we can monitor it to make sure you don't get cancer. The other part of the HPV prevention um, story is vaccination. So have you guys heard of uh, what's colloquially termed the cervical cancer vaccine?
0: Do you know what? I don't even think I have, no. Okay. So
1: cervical cancer vaccine is just the kind of colloquial term for HPV vaccination, and it's actually been around for a while. I I don't know. I don't dare to. Well, I know you're twenty five, but it's been around in the high school vaccination, uh, high school immunization program for a while. So I think.
0: Oh, so that- I probably could have had it without like knowing. I guess I, I don't have a strong um, yeah. record for my immunizations. I just go get them.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there's uh, HPV vaccination has been a part of the high school vaccination program in Australia for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I So Gardasil is the name. I don't know if that rings a bell. Um, Gardasil is a four-strain HPV vaccine, so it contains protection against four strains of HPV, including the two most likely to cause or to be implicated in causing cancer.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's been around since
0: 2006.
1: So oh, wow. I dare say you... You probably have had it, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) so I mean we're very lucky in Australia because it's part of the high school vaccination program Mm. and the important thing to note is we give it to boys and girls. Even though boys don't have cervixes, boys give HPV to girls. So it makes sense to vaccinate both genders or both sexes. Um, So, yes, so Gardasil 4, the 4 strain Gardasil, which has been around since 2006, provides... Approximately 70% protection against oncogenic HPV strains, so strains of HPV uh, most likely to be implicated in cervical cancer. And then since then, there's been an upgrade. And we now have Gardasil 9, which provides protection against nine strains and gives, um, I think, around about 90% protection.
0: So gosh, that's incredible.
1: Yes. Now, you'll note that I never, ever said 100% protection, which is why if you're vaccinated, you still need to have past mm-hmm. means because it, it gives you that coverage for that percentage of HPV that the vaccines don't cover. Um, for people who haven't had the vaccine, it is actually available uh, to be purchased and given on private prescriptions. By private, I mean it's not subsidised by Medicare, so you actually have to pay for it. It's not cheap, mm-hmm. we're talking three shots and the total cost is around about 500 bucks in total. Um, but if that is a cost mm-hmm. that is uh, acceptable, uh, then I would, I would be very happy to administer and in fact have met on many occasions administered Gardasil to my patients in the GP setting where they've said, yep, happy to stump up 500 bucks, I want my protection.
0: mm Mm. it's I mean that's so fantastic modern medicine is just amazing to know that there's like the the option to have protection if if you want it and to know that I mean probably although I'm a bit oblivious that I probably am already protected to a certain degree um, you may be yeah Yeah, that's just so fantastic I mean moving forward I want to know some misconceptions because you probably get this so much in your um, area of work Maria in in you know uh, probably many young women like myself coming in thinking certain things about you know the cervical screening test um that maybe are misinformed or have heard something from old mate down the road that isn't necessarily true so what are some of the biggest pap smear misconceptions that you hear i think the biggest misconception is the fact that it's horribly
1: painful um yeah it it, uh, it In the hands of someone who does it fairly frequently, it should never, ever be horribly painful. And most of the time, it is almost a non-event. The anticipation is usually much, much worse than the actual procedure itself. And uh, even though I do pap smears on the regular, I remember getting um, my own pap smear with my gynaecologist. I was going to her for other things and I said, would you mind doing a pap smear? and even I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be horrible, even though I do it all the time. And, you know, when I, I don't, my patients don't find it horrible. But when she did it, I was, I was reminded of the fact that it was really a non-event. Uh, so that's the biggest misconception. I think the other ones I've already touched on briefly, even if vaccinated, they are still necessary. Uh, and also the fact that there are vaccines available is also uh, news to some people. One other misconception is that that I hear is that, oh, I'm too old to have that vaccine. Um, The reason being, well, I've already been exposed to HPV, so why would I have the vaccine? You know, I've already had, you know, X number of sexual partners. I must have been exposed. Uh, And my answer to that is uh, it will address a few points. Firstly, uh, yes, there's a high likelihood that if you've been sexually active for quite a while, you will have been exposed, but we don't know which strains you've been exposed to. Um, So if that vaccine will cover the strains that you haven't been exposed to, it will still provide additional protection. There's no way, there's no test, there's no way of knowing exactly which strains you've been exposed to. So On balance, it's still, I personally think it's still uh, wise to have that vaccine, even if you've been sexually active for quite a while, if you're happy to stump up for the cost
0: of it. Uh, Yeah, so never too old in my view. On that never too old aspect, um, looking at more from the side of pap smears, I mean, do you have to continue? This may sound like a completely oblivious question, but I've never thought of it. And I think, you know, just thinking about like my mom, I'm like, I never really hear her about her say that she's, you know, going to get a pap smear. Like, do you need to get one once you've been through a menopause? Like how, like, when do you stop? Do you stop getting a pap smear when you die? Or like, you know, can you still, uh, is it still really important to get it in those older years when you're in your seventies, eighties, nineties?
1: Okay. So yes, absolutely. You should continue pap smears after the age of menopause. So the recommendation is for women aged between 25 to 74 years of age to have regular cervical screening tests.
0: Mm. That's so good because I mean, for anyone who is under 25 and not yet at that age that they need to get one. I think this is a nice reminder just to go ask your mum if she's had one lately, <laughs> you know, yeah. to make sure that all the women in our lives are being checked and make sure that they're up to date with their um, yeah cervical screening test. I think that's so fascinating because, you know, in my mind, for some reason, I just thought like, that once you've been through menopause, maybe that's not an issue, but obviously not. It's uh, like you've mentioned, Maria, it's important to get it up until the age of 74. So that might for some of our listeners be their grandmas as well. So maybe a really nice family dinner table conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. And I unfortunately have seen cervical cancer in older women mm. who have just let their pap smears lapse. Mm. So definitely important not to, um, not to
0: just think, oh, I'm beyond the age where that's important. Mm. Um, I mean, is, is it more common in younger women or older women or is it just across board? Uh,
1: look, I wouldn't say it's more common in older women. I think the key thing here is the more HPV types you're exposed to, the more likely you're gonna, one is going to stick around that your immune system can't clear. So that's not to say that the first one you're exposed to won't be the one that sticks around, but obviously the law of, you know, the law of numbers would say that the more you catch, the more likely one is to stick around. Um, By, I mean this is a gross generalization, but Usually, I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble. But usually, um, Middle and older women tend to have settled into a monogamous relation. I mean, I'm not, you know, not true for everyone. But so the number yes. of sexual partners tends to go down, or they just stick to the one sexual partner, or you know, whatever. So less likely to see it. But what I'm saying is don't think that just because you've passed a certain age that it's okay to not have pap smears anymore. Go till 74.
0: That's so good to know. I feel like, mm. oh, I've learned so much. I, I love this kind of discussion because it's one of those things like you know for most of us women we know that it's something we need to get done but we don't actually know why or you know how it happens or what it looks into or why it's important like all those kind of things I think it's just something sometimes something that you know your doctor says oh have you had this lately if not we better do it and you kind of just don't second guess it so it's so nice to have that the power of knowledge um, to what's going on and why we need to be proactive about Mm. this. I I just, yeah, so good to know. But before we say goodbye to you, Maria, I want to know your best piece of pap smear advice that you can give our listeners today.
1: (laughs) All right. So
0: it's a hack for (laughs) making your pap
1: smear uh, potentially go a lot quicker. So after you're asked to lie down on the examination bench, I would suggest that you make two fists and put them under your bottom between your bottom and the bed. And what that Mm -hmm. will do is that will lift your bottom off the bed slightly because you'll be sitting on your, you'll be lying on your fists. And this change, this slight change in the angle of your pelvis actually makes it much easier for your doctor to find your cervix, which means that the whole process can be over that much more quickly. Um, Yeah. And a lot of doctors actually have a pillow that they use for this purpose. But if they don't, you should
0: do that. That is a great piece of advice. No one wants to have to be sitting there any longer (laughs) than they need. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. We're going to have all these GPs going to be so confused and all these women walking in with their (laughs) their fists, putting their fists under their bum. Yeah, they're going to be like, where did you hear this? And they can say, well, (laughs) Dr. Maria, she filled us in. Look, Maria, I think lastly, before um, you leave us, people probably won't be aware of this and so I'm going to give you a bit of a spoke here you have such an insanely good social media page when it comes to Instagram your Instagram is just full of such yeah, good you. educational um you know knowledge and facts and I think that is something that more of us need right now we definitely need to be uh finding reliable sources um, to trust when it comes to getting our information, especially when it comes to getting medical information. So I would highly recommend well, Thank you. you, yeah, everyone going and checking that out. And I'll be putting um, the link to your Instagram page in our show notes. Well, thank you so much, Maria, for joining us today. Like I said, this has just been so educational and interesting to learn more about something that all of us women have to go through and deal with uh, every five years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So thank you for making that topic feel so much more comfortable, and hopefully that experience more comfortable for the uh, for all of us who have to go through it.
1: Yes, I'm
0: I'm delighted
1: that you asked me to talk about this because, uh, yeah, it needs to be said, uh, and uh, I think more women, I think more women should know why we do it and also the fact that it's not likely uh, to be a really traumatizing experience it's probably likely to be the opposite end of that spectrum almost a Mm. Mm. (laughs) non-event
0: absolutely I mean that's just such like music to my ears very reassuring so I'm sure all of our listeners can agree today so thank you thank you thank you so much for having me on Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Wow. I hope you enjoyed it. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe or follow and tune in next week. Otherwise, in the meantime, you better come join us on Instagram at the WowPodcast underscore for more updates. Lastly, a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a professional first. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. This podcast was produced by Georgina Beasley and edited by Maddie Hewson.